Want to unlock the potential of LinkedIn and accelerate the growth of your personal brand? My online LinkedIn program offers a step-by-step system to help you do just that. It's the same framework I use to grow my followings from 0 to 30,000 followers and 500,000 in income. Through three modules, you'll learn how to optimize your profile, create compelling content that people will consume, and leverage growth hacks to boost your visibility. The course is concise, easy to follow, and highly practical, with each module distilling hundreds of hours of research, experimentation, and first-hand experience. By completing this program, you'll gain the knowledge and tools you need to drive traffic to your profile, increase your top-of-mind awareness, and grow your connections. Whether you're a job seeker, business owner, or simply looking to promote a course, this program is the key to unlocking the power of LinkedIn for your personal brand. Learn more about this program at adriantan.com.sg slash LinkedIn. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Adrian Tan Show. On this podcast, I speak with entrepreneurs, HR leaders and coaches who have a great impact on the future of work. I hope they distill their life lessons so that the rest of us can learn from their best practices. My guest today is Chris Tran. He survived an Nepal earthquake in 2015 after being quote-unquote dead for four days. Lived abroad in Vietnam, Singapore, Thailand for over 18 years and he has recently launched some of the hottest video games in Southeast Asia, organized and hosted gigantic esports events, built the first esports stadium in Southeast Asia and founded and managed multiple leading digital advertising agencies in Vietnam. Now Chris is embarking on a new journey as a life coaching is an advantage, not yet widely available in his part of the world. Chris is eager to share his experiences and help others find their own purpose and grow to fulfill their potential. He wants to help people become better business people, get raises and promotions, develop their confidence and thrive in relationship-based organization. Hey Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to meet you. And it's great to be here. To start off, could you share with my audience a bit about yourself, your background and what you do? I'm the child of Vietnamese immigrants. So right after the Vietnam War in 1975, I was born in America, raised to be a doctor, didn't become a doctor, became a consultant because I thought that's what everybody wanted me to become. And then suddenly found myself in Vietnam after uh, a little accident in an elevator, per se, found myself in advertising. And I did that for 10 years and realized what I really wanted to do, what was my deep purpose in life was to get into video games and to really make my dream come true. I got out of advertising and did some crazy, in retrospect, professional things. But at the moment, I thought I was a little crazy to get the job that I really wanted, which was to become one of the head people in Riot Games for video games in Southeast Asia. So for the past six years, I'd been head of esports for Riot Games in Southeast Asia, where I've managed and led League of Legends esports with the Pacific Championship Series and the Vietnam Championship Series, launched Valorant, the game, and also the esport. And Valorant, for those of you in the video game industry know, or just any gamer, is one of the hottest video games that has launched in the last couple of years. So I've had an amazing ride, and I'm excited to tell you guys about how I got in to advertising and how I made some of the interesting career shifts today. My son introduced me to the game and I have a record of being eliminated 100% in every <laughs> single game that I played. So I probably will stop there <laughs> before I made it even worse. Why we are talking here today is really because of the things that you have undertaken in order to make some pivotal shift across different industry from getting into advertising and then going into gaming and 
it is something that you have done, I wouldn't say very earlier in the part of your career, because for many people, especially young graduates, they might be looking around, switching between industry and function because they can't really figure things out. But you actually took some, or I would say quite drastic decision in switching industries, probably a later stage of your career. What was the motivating factor behind it? Is it a pull factor? Is it more of a push factor? Was there a pivotal moment that actually triggered in you that, okay, I want to go into advertising now. Okay, I want to go into gaming. So with advertising, I feel like the phrase luck favors the prepared mind really comes into play here because up until I was in an elevator at one specific day, I was living in Thailand, a little bit lonely because as an American in Thailand, you just don't have as many friends as you might want. And suddenly I was stuck in a group of other Americans and they were speaking with an American accent and talking about advertising. And I just introduced myself and said, hey, my name is Chris. I'm looking for new friends. And it sounds like you guys are nice people. Actually, I think I call them cool people. And so I introduced myself and invited myself to their happy hour later that day. And like in that same evening, they said, hey, we're looking to hire somebody to be managing director of our advertising agency in Vietnam. And you seem like a smart guy. What do you think? And so is that a push factor or a pull factor? There, I think... At that point, I was a little bit, I feel bored or jaded about my consulting career to that point. And I was really excited about meeting these interesting and fun people. And advertising itself has a sense of glamour to it, right? You work with like famous people, big budgets, your advertising is on TV and on billboards and everywhere. So I think the pull factor was significant to the job. But Adrian, I got to be honest that there's also my ego a little bit, right? It's very flattering to meet somebody and say, hey, do you want to be in charge of our company? But of course, there was a process to it because no job at that scale can be closed on like a couple of drinks and a handshake. So I had to teach myself, right? And this was 2008, so roughly 15 years ago. And I think I'm lucky in that we are in a time where information is cheap. There's information all around us, like what you generously provide to the community through your podcast, YouTube, like all sorts of information everywhere. But you have to have the will to study it and put it into practice so that it becomes or transformed from knowledge into skill. And I'll tell you what I did, right? To become head of an advertising firm, I needed to show that I was skilled in the future of advertising. And in 2008, the future of advertising is digital advertising, which once again seems silly and obvious now. But in 2008, people were still doing a lot of TV advertising. So I taught myself how to build a website. And so I taught, built my own blogs on WordPress and Joomla. I did search engine optimization on my own, search engine marketing. I did e-commerce and all of these things in small experiments to build my own portfolio so that I could bring that forward into a conversation and really demonstrate that I could do the job right? And transform myself in a very quick period of time to the person where it wouldn't be a mistake to put me in this job. And that this luck and this opportunity, I captured it fully just by working hard, right? And that's why I say luck favors a prepared mind. And when luck hit, my mind wasn't 100% prepared, but I made sure I got ready to like just truly take advantage of the opportunity that was presented. Did the gumption to prepare or in this case over prepare and to really school yourself in what you have to know in order to make sure that you might be the best candidate presented did that come naturally instinctively to you has that always been the case since you were young 
Honestly, I don't think so. I say that because when I was young, and I think it goes for many of us, I was told I was good at math. Therefore, everything I did had to be around math because math was easy. So for me to do things successfully, I just did math. And it took me a long time to realize that even though I was good at it, it didn't make me happy. So that was that pivotal point where I was starting to get closer to those words like purpose, fulfillment, intrinsic motivation, where to get to a certain level of professionalism, math was a very easy way to get forward, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied, but I was stuck. Adrian, I was stuck in a rut because my quote gift or my talent for math had just kept me going in the direction that like wasn't making me happy. And so that was when I realized that for me to get an uncommon result, for me to just change the momentum of gosh, up to that point, like my 30 years of my life, I had to just do exceptional things. And it wasn't easy. It was very awkward. But I think at that point, it wasn't so much of a push. It was a right the pull that I, I knew that if I wasn't going to change, I was not. I was deciding not to be happy. And in changing, of course, that means you have to lean into discomfort and pick up new skills, new things, new routine. Is that picking up of websites, social media stuff? The first time you actually lean very much into that area of discomfort and pick up new stuff? A bit. And it seems like the pattern is clear in hindsight, but at the moment, it doesn't seem like a pattern. When I was in college, I got into a car accident and I didn't want to tell my parents. So I needed to borrow a lot of money to fix the car. So I was 95, right? And the internet had just started. And so my friends said, oh, down the street, there is a company called the Internet Access Company and they're hiring people to work on their computers. And they really need people. And they're only going to ask you three questions. And they told me the answer to these three questions. And so I didn't know anything about computers, Adrian. What I did was I knew the answers to these three questions. And I knew I needed money fast so that I would not get in trouble with my parents. So I showed up, answered these three questions, and suddenly got stuck in this job, like on customer support, helping people figure out the internet in 1995. And it was one of those things where nobody knew what was happening with the internet 28 years ago. So that was like my first kind of like awkward push into something. I guess the other big awkward jump was in 2005, my father passed away. And at that point, I'd been living in America and I had traveled a bit for work, but I was mostly living in America. And I just had a hole in my heart. And I, and I wanted to be with my grandfather. So I just sold my house, gave away my car, and then went back to Vietnam, where I was not born. I was born in America, but where my grandfather was still alive. And I went back to be near him. It meant not just changing country, but my grandfather did not live in a city. He lived in the countryside. So imagine me just living in the countryside, like hauling vegetables sometimes, weeding the field, pulling up grass, etc. I don't think I was good at it, but that was like a very big change that I made myself take. No, I think I was pushed in this part, Adrian. I just think that there was no other way for me to recover from this heartache. It seems to me there are some commonalities across the pivotal moment in your life, and they came quite unintentionally, like the car accident, which of course got you into 
that gaming job and the unfortunate passing of your dad, which really resulted in you moving yourself almost halfway around the globe and go to a different place altogether, which of course end up to all the other new stuff. Basically, you branch out of what would probably be a very linear path from where you were seeing back then to something else entirely. And I think that would also be a good segue for us to discuss about your next career, which happens to be in gaming, in Riot Games. And I know that's a very interesting story on how you actually went above and beyond to secure the role. But before that, tell us how you even got to know about this job to begin with and what actually fascinated you so much to be part of this gaming industry. It's a long story. I was born in America, but my parents did not speak English. So I grew up not speaking English. And when I went to school, the teachers were very confused because I was born in America, didn't speak English. Therefore, they thought I had a disability, for the lack of a better term. So they put me in different, a different kind of school. But they were very confused about why I was good at math. But that's beyond the point, right? It was just a language thing. But the only way I could make friends was through computer games. And this was like 1983, 1984 age, where there were like maybe six people with computers in the school. And I, and one of them was kind. And one of them took care of me because I was a little slow. And so the first way for me to communicate with people without using English was through video games. And I've taken that throughout the long arc of my career when I was working for that computer company that I snuck into with the three questions on Friday nights, man. At 9 p.m., we would close the company and then we would sneak in our friends into the company to play video games together. It was amazing. (laughs) And so when I was a consultant, we'd do the same. Imagine playing video games on a banking system when people aren't looking at you. That's what we did at a company I'm not going to mention because I might still get in trouble. And so throughout that part, wherever I've been, video games have gone beside me, but I never dreamed that would be possible. So imagine I'm sitting in my advertising agency office one day and I get an email from a friend of mine in San Francisco saying, hey, Riot Games is hiring a country manager for Vietnam. Do you know anyone? And I said, I don't know anyone qualified, but if you share this with anyone else, I will feel that you betrayed me. So I need you to just delete this message, delete this job request, and introduce me directly to whoever gave this to you. And so became my quest to get a job at Riot Games. Because I like to think I have a good career. I have a lot of experience, but no one would look at me and say, oh, that's a gamer. Or this person's qualified to run a game company. And this was essentially the job. This was essentially the opportunity. And this was the credibility gap that I had to bridge. Because clearly prior to that, the only experience you have in gaming was a gamer. You have never worked in the gaming industry before. I liken it to, I like to eat food and trying to tell people that I could be a chef. There is some connection, but it's a so what? It's not, oh, I like watching Avatar, therefore I can direct like billion dollar movies. That's, that's a big leap. And so I thought to myself, how can I apply for this job without any regrets? And the re- biggest regret I was worried about having was if I didn't get it because I didn't do enough. It wasn't about whether I was good enough. It was about like making sure I did everything possible that I could. So of course the obvious thing is when I first started doing my resume, I read through the public, the press releases of Riot Games, looked at the language, looked at the font, looked at 
the colors they use and then changed my resume to use the font, to use the colors, to use some of the languages they used. This was before I knew what LinkedIn was. So I didn't get to do anything with LinkedIn. And I sent that through two or three different recruiters to get me the interview. Once I was able to get an interview, then that's when the real work began. One, I had this idea in my head that to work for a gaming company, you had to be amazing at playing. So I went out and find a professional video game coach for League of Legends to teach me how to be great just in case I get to the interview and I have to fight like four or five other candidates just as a survival of the fittest to see who would be the best person. And at that point, have you ever played a single minute of League of Legends? Absolutely. But I was terrible, Adrian. I was absolutely terrible because I'm a middle-aged man. And so I would play for fun. But people who play League of Legends don't play for fun. People who play League of Legends play to win. I wasn't applying for the Riot Games job for fun, Adrian. I was playing to win. And that's why... To play to win, I got a game playing coach. I got somebody who coached people to be the best players in Vietnam to teach me so that I could stand shoulder to shoulder and face other players in the world and say, hey, I might not be the best, but I'm the best that I can be. So like that was transformative. Likewise, when I interviewed for Riot, I want I knew that they would not believe that I understood anything about gaming as an industry. So I hired two different research companies to provide bespoke information for me about the Vietnam gaming market that doesn't exist. So that I was sure I could surprise them in the interview process of how deep my knowledge was. So one was using social media technology to just track like different sentiment across different events for what Riot Games and other game companies were doing. And the other one actually conducted focus group interviews on my behalf so I could have sound bites and just talk about like different personas and how they react with the game. And then the other thing I did was I hired a public relations company, not to really throw up articles about me about how I'm a good gamer because that wouldn't be honest, but to understand that the most rigorous interviewers in the world are probably hostile journalists, right? People who are really like attacking politicians or business people about something unkind. And the public relations experts are the ones that prepare people for those interviews. And the three main things that I did, and I guess the fourth thing that wasn't successful was that I knew that my my future boss lived in Taiwan. So I would just make up excuses to go to Taipei and then just send him a note saying, hey, I just happened to be in Taipei for the day. Are you free? And like the first couple of times he said, no, I'm not free. And the third time he didn't even respond to me. So I, so like, I didn't get to meet him, but the net effect of these different things, right? Using rights, branding and language in my application, having a professional gaming coach, having professional research commissioned on my behalf, getting trained in how to manage an interview by a hostile PR company and letting my future manager know that I happen to be in Taiwan a lot. These all contributed to me landing my dream job, right? The job that like maybe when I was eight, I couldn't articulate that I wanted, but imagine being an eight-year-old immigrant where you don't speak English and the only thing you know is how to play games. And then being told, oh, in 40 years, you're going to be back in the motherland in charge of the biggest video games in Vietnam and in the region. And your job is to 
take normal players and make them into esports athletes and make them world famous. Like, I am very lucky to have put all the effort I did to getting this job. And if I had done less and not gotten the job, I would be very disappointed in myself more than anything else. The only thing you ever have control over, the only thing I ever have control over is how much effort I put into something. And sure, I would have been sad if I didn't get the job after pulling all this stuff, for sure. And 2020, and hindsight is always 2020. But I wouldn't have regretted anything because I know I would have had tried everything possible. And if Riot found a better candidate than me, despite me doing my best, then Riot and that guy is Rayla. But in this situation, I was the lucky one, and I'm grateful. You mentioned that your future boss was in Taiwan, and you have to create that accident of bumping into him. You flew to Taiwan and then hoped that it would happen. And in many instances, earlier instances, he's actually not free. So it became a wasted trip for you. Correct. I would just fly to Taiwan and just hang out for a day and fly back to Vietnam. How many of those trips did you have to take before he finally said, okay, I have time, let's meet up? He never did. It's funny. I had three trips that I did. And all for all three, the first two, he couldn't meet up. And the third one, he just didn't respond. I no idea why. Never asked. Maybe I should. But I finally met him before the final interview at Riot. So he happened to be in Vietnam before my final interview with his boss. And, and then that was, at that point, we'd, I'd already survived many interviews with Riot to get to the final big boss. Because back then, it took me, Adrian, the interview process at Riot, nine months long was 13 interviews over nine months. So those three trips over the nine months, it was based out pretty well. It wasn't like three, three trips in a week, right? But it was certainly a, an ordeal and a, and a big project to land worth it. And I think that if anybody is lucky enough to identify their dream job, then they really need to just live a life without regret and do everything they can. What you did is extremely hardcore. Having been the career coach and I Bought a fair share of things to my clients back then on some unconventional means in order to stay ahead of the game. I've never mentioned anything to the level that you actually executed them on. Do you personally know anyone that actually went on to that extreme level in order to secure the dream job? No. And I don't know why not. Really don't. Because you spend, I know, like, Theoretically, you spend like a third of your life sleeping and a third of your life working, but the work-life balance that we're supposed to have doesn't really exist very well nowadays because of remote work and we don't have strong work-life boundaries, right? We don't have good walls. So I think it's probably more accurate to say that on a, on a given work day, we probably spend like 10 hours working and two hours thinking about work when we should be not thinking about work. We should be thinking about our family, our friends, our loved ones, and, and like our hobby, hobbies, what have you. But we spend so much time working, but we spend so little time thinking about what we want to do and being mindful and conscientious of what we should do. I'll be honest, most of my, the first half of my career was just either what paid me the most or it was the easiest job to get. I don't think I'm the only one. Going to what's easiest doesn't make you a better person, doesn't make you happier. It made me a little bit entitled. And 
gave me a little bit of imposter syndrome because I felt like I didn't belong or I was good at what I did, but I didn't just, I just didn't feel like I belonged and I had to put on a brave face. And so I had gone so far down the road that I had to put up a Herculean kind of effort, but I don't think, I think the ROI is incredible. The ROI is incredible if you can figure out your dream job and go all out because even when you fail, you learn. Um, I think perhaps the figuring out part might be the most challenging for many people. Because when they probably are still in the schooling phase, this can be very linear. If you're taking a bachelor in accountancy, get out of here, become an accountant, so on. But it might not truly be what is really something that resonated with them. And in your case, I can somehow see that there are a few moments which, of course, related to how you're fascinated with certain things like gaming as a kid and all. And of course, that somewhat link up with your intention to join Riot Games. But for many other people, that moment may not be so apparent. Perhaps they have a much more boring childhood. How would you advise on any young people or any people out there, perhaps even mid-career, in doing some intentional exercise or really how to go about thinking exactly what they truly want as a purpose in a job that they are looking at? There are a couple ways to think about this. Hey, I think first, you may already be super happy with your job. And I think a good way to think about that is when you go to sleep, are you excited about what you get to do tomorrow? And when you wake up, do you spring out full of energy saying, oh, I get to do this? Or is there dread? Is there sadness? Is there a little bit of depression? And you can sense that over time, which way you're going. The other way, I think a great purpose there, there are three different parts that you need to have a great purpose. One is you have to enjoy and have fun with what you do. Two is you have to be challenged and be feel like you're growing and learning through what you do. And the third thing is you have to serve a community that you love, respect, and or are a part of, right? So for Riot, it was amazing because I was serving gamers. I'm a gamer. Gamer, ga gamer culture gave me my identity for most of my life. I was learning about the games industry and how to launch some of the coolest games in the world. And I was having a lot of fun because it's games, right? And so, and so for a lot of people, something like that may work. And that's why we have so many people looking for ways to be part of the gaming industry. Whereas for me, I like advertising. At the beginning, it was exciting and I was learning. But I did not enjoy serving my clients anymore, right? So it started off as a two out of three, but it rapidly became a zero out of three when I became good at advertising so I wasn't learning anymore. I didn't like the clients I was serving. Really cynical about advertising for a period because there's only so many times you can talk about Coca-Cola being fun. It's really hard. But so that's where all the joy had gone out of advertising for me. And I just tried to console myself with making money. But when you're not in purpose, the money goes away very quickly as well, because there's something very interesting about with purpose, I tend to be luckier. And when I don't, when I'm out of purpose, I just don't have the magic spark and just, it's harder for me to just get a compliment. Wow. I may have overshared there. <laughs> no, 
Given that you joined Riot Games many years ago and for your advertising role even more years before that, things have obviously changed a fair bit. You were saying earlier on there wasn't LinkedIn when you were doing, when you're trying to get advertising and all. Given what there are right now, if you have to go back and, or rather, if you have to explore a new opportunity right now, would you do things differently given the tools that you have on hand? Or would there be things that you would suggest, okay, last time it worked, it probably wouldn't work now. And how would listeners be able to make use of all this past experience in order for them to perhaps gain the attention and the spotlight? I think there are two phases that you have to consider. One is how do you get an interview and get noticed? And two is how do you win at the interview? Tools that did not exist in getting the interview from me before was something like LinkedIn. And I think people need to be a bit subtler and sophisticated with LinkedIn and not just go to a company and go to a recruiter and just connect with them and ask for an interview. I think it requires a bit of prep work. And when I say prep work, let's just say you want to get a job at Apple. You want to get a job at Apple Singapore. Who are the key leaders at Apple Singapore? Where are they on social media? What kind of things do they talk about on Twitter and on LinkedIn and maybe even TikTok and engage, right? Because every time you engage with them, that puts you into the top 1% of candidates because they will start recognizing your name so that when your resume and your CV are sent into a recruiter, then maybe the hiring manager sees that. Or best yet, when you see a job description that matches what you want, you already are known to this person that you've been commenting on their content for the last couple of weeks and say, hey, I am a big fan of your and I'm actually like would love to explore an opportunity or this opportunity at Apple, could I ask you a couple of questions directly about that? And that may actually end up being a referral. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing you can do is build up your own portfolio of information about the job. Because let's say you want to work for Apple, but you work for a, a petroleum company. You work for an oil company. <laughs> Trying to come up with something totally different. But you want to do something with Apple in their retail sales side. So you study and then you start writing your own information and creating your own portfolio to be noticed so that when you talk to a recruiter, you have information to show that you've put the work into it, already started the transformation required if you get the job so that people don't feel like talking to you is a risk. Because with the advent of LinkedIn, it's become very easy to apply for a job. So as a candidate, you go, oh, it's very easy. I just hit a click, I apply. But you think it's helping you, but it's actually hurting you because that, that convenience exists for everybody else. So the recruiter and the hiring manager, you're not the only one hitting the apply job. Everybody who is bored, not everybody interested, everybody who is bored is hitting the apply job. So they're getting hit with 180 other applications at the same time as you, that they all look the same. And your job is to not be one of those 180. And in this day and age, reach like every time a leader from Apple Singapore is putting content out, they're actually raising their hand up saying, hey, I want to attract new voices that are interested in what I'm doing and subconsciously evaluating if there's a fit for the organization. And if you're able to share concrete proof points of your own curiosity, your autodidactic nature, that you already understand the strategy of Apple and where they want to go, or could even show them new ways that they could go that they hadn't thought of, 
that's how I would have changed. That's how I would have added to what I do. And it's risk-free. You do these things. It doesn't cost you very much money. It doesn't cost you any money, which let's be honest, I spent a lot of money in preparation, paying for coaches and research companies and plane tickets to do nothing. I flew to Taiwan to do nothing. I'm just like, sat in a cafe. But this is, if you do this, instead of being one of the 180, you might be one, the only one of one for these jobs, right? And it's simple to say, and it's actually simple to do. You just have just the rest of the world hasn't figured it out yet. It's like following your footsteps to try and mirror what you have done and also some of the suggestions that you have mentioned. I firmly believe there might also be things that people should stop doing. It's really a combination of things you should do and things you should stop doing. Given that you're a career fulfillment coach right now, do you see a common pattern of things that your clients might be doing right now, which doesn't really help them in establishing their career fulfillment or trying to attain their dream job? Are there things that are not really moving the needle for many of them? Sure. You don't have to leave your job sometimes to get your dream job. And sometimes your job it might be pretty good and you just need to renegotiate how you work, right? And I think that's what a lot of people forget. So what are those sorts of things, right? Like work-life boundaries. Like really understand what your work-life boundaries are because we have seen it all too many times that a boss causes that, calls us at dinner time, interrupting our family time for an emergency, which really wasn't an emergency and just causes damage to the quality of our life. There is a trend to unlimited time off, right? Unlimited PTO that we see in a lot of companies. But research has shown that on average, people in companies with unlimited PTO take less time off than companies with like standard time off. And that's because we are bad champions of ourselves. We get benefits. Our jobs, we get paid to provide a service to a company, right? That value exchange isn't just salary, it's salary, benefits, and time off. And if we're not clear about our benefits and we're not clear about our time off, then of course we're not going to be happy. But there, there is a weird sort of guilt that we give ourselves when we take time off. We feel like we're abandoning our team. But when we don't take time off, then nobody wants to take time off. And suddenly everybody feels tired and worn out and miserable. And I don't think the intention of any company is for people not to take time off. It's just an unintended consequence of good intentions. And so beyond just looking for your dream job, think about how you can renegotiate how you work with your boss, with your team, with your company to really just remember the excitement that we all have when we start a company. Start at a company. Like when we first start a job, it's the best feeling in the world. We get our stapler, we get our laptop, we get our post The honeymoon notes. period. Yeah. And every once in a while, we should try to remember, get a little romance back into the job and fall in love with our job again. And remember that the benefits are pretty good, but we forgot to take advantage of them, right? Or, or like training, et cetera. And so I think that is probably the easiest way for people to just be like maybe 10% happier at work. That's a good one and something that many of us, including myself, would obviously overlook because few of us would be aware that you may already be in your dream job. It's just that as it is right now, it might be packaged a bit differently. It might be a bit rough on the edges. You just need to do a bit of polishing and maybe just reconfigure a little bit here, a little bit there. And it potentially could be what you have been searching for for most of your life in trying to find a fulfilling career. 
And on that note, thank you so much for making time on this podcast today. Any final parting words you'd like to share with our audience out there who may be having some career fulfillment issues, some career search problems, any other tips and advice that you have for them? We live in an amazing period of time when there's just so much knowledge and information out there that can really transform our lives. But it's very tempting to think that watching a YouTube video or reading a book will change our lives. Because just if you just know something, nothing changes. You have to act. Action transforms knowledge into skills. And skills are what, gonna, are what going to give you your dream job. My advice is doing is more important than learning, right? And no amount of learning will make you brave. Action conquers fear and will give you the portfolio and the relationships and the confidence to go get your dream job. Here, here. Thank you so much, Chris. And for people who is keen to learn more about yourself and perhaps to even reach out to you for further advice, where can they go to? Just look for Chris Tran, coach on LinkedIn, and I'm there. I'm happy to like discuss any of these things. This will be added into the show notes. Once again, Chris, thank you so much for making time on this podcast today. Thank you, Adrian. So much fun. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.